Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. It's an issue that strikes at the heart of our democracy and questions the limits of our national security. The federal inquiry into foreign interference starts tomorrow in Ottawa. It's expected to highlight China's level of aggression. It might also aggravate already tense relations with India and could reveal attempted meddling by Russia. It's the next step in what has been a long and sometimes controversial investigation. We must acknowledge that we've not been doing enough to safeguard our democracy. That was former Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole after he says that he and some in his party were targeted by China. The Canadian Security Intelligence Service had warned Beijing wanted a Liberal government victory in 2021. After much political pressure, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appointed David Johnston as independent special rapporteur to look into foreign interference. But soon after, questions were raised about what critics called his cosy relationship with the PM. Why do you need them? Johnston later resigned. The commission, led by Quebec judge Marie-José Hogue, is expected to complete an interim report by May 3rd and deliver a final report by the end of the year. Joining us now are former National Security Advisor and former CSIS Director Dick Fadden and Vina Najabula, Vice President of Research and Strategy at the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. Welcome to you both. Great to have you on the show. An issue that I know you've both been tracking very closely, not only in your current iterations, but your professional lives. Dick, you know, you were in charge of national security for this country. When you look at foreign interference as we prepare to head into this inquiry, how serious of a threat is it for Canada? Well, I think it's very serious, and it's not serious just for Canada. But I think the starting point has to be that we recognize that China and a couple of other countries, Russia being one of them, are real adversaries. They're just not our competitors in the world. They're out to change the world, and they're out to use virtually any method they can to attain that goal. Foreign interference has been going on here and in the countries of our closest allies for some time now. I think foreign interference, too, has to be defined broadly. It's not just interfering with our democratic institutions. It's trying to change policy. It's interfering with diasporas, both the Chinese and others. And I think we have come very, very late to acknowledging that this is a problem. I mean, it took the India-Pacific strategy before the federal government within that policy or strategy to acknowledge that China was a strategic adversary. That's the beginning, but we have a fair bit to do to catch up. And for the love of me, I don't understand why uh, it took the government so much time to accept that we needed a public inquiry. Uh, and I think the downside to that right now is that they may well be using this as a reason for not proceeding on a number of fronts to deal with foreign interference without waiting for the end of the inquiry. Vina, do you feel that the government has been reluctant to, to deal with this as, as Dick does? And why do you think that that would be? Thanks, Mercedes. I very much agree with Dick that we have been much slower in both recognizing the real threat that foreign interference is to our democracy and to our way of life, as well as putting in place the necessary responses to be able to uh, detect, investigate, and deter this. Um, the United Kingdom, Australia, U.S., they have been working on this for the last five, ten years. We're just beginning that work. Uh, I also agree that we don't really have to wait for the outcome of the public 
public inquiry to be able to put in place the things that will help and protect people that are most at risk, so particularly our diaspora community. The best defense against foreign interference is to inform the public how to recognize it, how to respond it. It's also um, ability to change some of our laws, bring about the legislative change, as well as uh, the necessary administrative changes within CSIS, within RCMP, to then be able to investigate and hold to account people who engage in this. So, yes, I would agree that we have been slow, I think in part because we are in general quite slow in responding to national security issues. This is the one issue which is both the foreign policy issue as well as a domestic national security issue. And in the past, we just simply haven't prioritized them. Dick, I know that you've advocated strongly for transparency in this process as we go forward, and you're, you're going to be testifying about that uh, on Wednesday. Uh, how do you find the balance between protecting national security with what could be some very sensitive information, but also pro uh, projecting this and, and addressing it in a public forum so that people know what's actually going on? Because I know there have been concerns from some uh, about accountability here, and that if you don't know what the government knew and when they knew it, not just the interference that was being undertaken, you don't get that accountability. How do you find that balance? Well, I think you have to start with your default position being, I'm going to go public. Now, the government has indicated, as it set up this inquiry, that it's going to be open to making as much information uh, available as possible. But I think we have to do this in the context of Canada, as compared to our allies, to use the same approach as Viva. We overclassify and we classify far more than our allies. And I think we have to find a way of dealing with that, not just in the context of this inquiry, but more broadly. But I think, and I will, I believe, tell the inquiry this on Wednesday, a large chunk of this is culture. It's not the legislation and it's not the regulations. But our default position within government, and I don't mean just Mr. Trudeau's, I mean generally within government, we classify and we don't want to talk about these things. So a lot can be made public without massive changes in policy or regulation or legislation. And I think that the commissioner should point to other countries and their ability to talk about these things openly. I mean, to give you one concrete example, the case of Mr. Najjar, we basically said nothing. Then the United States Department of Justice unsealed an indictment against his colleagues in the United States, and all sorts of information have been made public, has been made public. And oddly enough, there have been no real negative repercussions from doing that. So we have to be able to take a few risks. We have to be able to change our culture here and now. And that's both within the public service, within CSIS, the RCMP, and elsewhere, but also within the ministry. Well, Avina, to, to Dick's point, it's Canadians are going to be watching this very closely, but so is India, so is China, so is Russia. Uh, I would imagine so are a number of other countries. How do you anticipate that this is going to affect our foreign relations? Yes, um, foreign interference is already a major issue in our bilateral relationship with China. Uh, as you know, a number of other countries have been able to have high-level dialogue, including our allies, U.S., U.K., uh, many European countries with China. China is not extending the same opportunity to Canada because of foreign interference and how this is unfolding. So that is continuing to put strain on that relationship. With respect to India, it's already a challenging relationship. And just the addition of India to the inquiry formally uh, the last couple of days has created already backlash in Indian media. Uh, we're watching that very closely. Of course, they're 
the argument that India is making is that all of this is essentially for political reasons, uh, that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is trying to deflect attention and blame and essentially is trying to, um, to smear India's reputation. So we'll have to manage this very carefully. But that should not deter us from pursuing the public inquiry and getting to the bottom of the facts of what in fact happened and how the government has responded, because relations with certainly China Russia, Iran, India, there's complexity in that. And we have to be able to um, engage in dialogue when we must, but also recognize that ultimately we have to protect our own national interest and our own people here at home. Dick, I, I noticed that Iran was not included uh, on the list of countries that are being looked at. There's been more and more information about the Iranian regime trying to interfere and intimidate the diaspora here. Is it your view that Iran should be included? Yes, it is. Uh, on the other hand, I think the commissioner has a real challenge. She has not been given a great deal of time to deal with this. That, I mean, that's a procedural issue. But I think any country on which we have substantive information that they are engaging in foreign interference should be included. Now, it will be for her to determine, you know, the range that she applies to each country. But to ignore, given the public information that we have about Iran in the context of her inquiry, I think will just raise questions that she won't be able to answer. So there may be two or three other countries, too, that are worth including. But I think she is operating under a time frame that makes it almost impossible, in my view, to deal with all of these issues substantively. So if I were the commissioner, and I never will be, I would say report at the end of this year, but then ask for another six to eight months to complete things. We'll probably be in an election then, and nobody will be paying a great deal of attention. But we're not going to have many opportunities to deal with foreign interference. We can't have public inquiries, you know, every six months. Let's be as broad as we possibly can within the time frame that is available to the commission. You know, we just have a few moments left, but how important is it that this inquiry succeeds? It is critical. Uh, foreign interference is a major challenge to our national security, to our democracy. There are people, particularly in the diaspora community, that require full protection. And it, it would, again, I would com echo completely what Dick said, that we won't have another opportunity. We have to be thorough. We have to do this with urgency. And we have to do it in an inclusive and transparent manner so that people that are most affected get to participate and that this results in real changes. This is not an exercise just to have an inquiry. We need to see real changes to be able to defend ourselves better against these threats, which will persist in the coming years. Vina and Dick, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again soon as this inquiry unfolds. Thank you for joining us and sharing your expertise today. Thank you. Thank you. It's shaping up to be a busy week here in Ottawa with MPs back in the House tomorrow and the start of the foreign interference inquiry. Last week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met with his cabinet and caucus to figure out priorities for this session, but also to try to cement his hold on a party that's been trailing badly in the polls. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev is meeting with his caucus today. The party is looking to maintain its momentum in the face of increasing attacks from the Liberals and the NDP. To dig into all of this, I'm joined by our Inside Politics panel, the Globe and Mail's Ottawa Bureau Chief Robert Fife and the Toronto Star's Deputy Bureau Chief Stephanie Levitz. Great to have you back. Happy New Year. We haven't seen you since uh, <laughs> December. Well, we wrapped Parliament up. Now we're coming back. A lot of it is sort of the same story, Bob, of the Liberals struggling in the polls, the Conservatives advancing. Justin Trudeau on Friday met with his caucus and had sort of this unified image behind him coming in the wake of a week where David Lametti, the former Justice Minister, quit and basically scorch earth on his way out, being very unhappy with the party. Ken McDonald, the backbench MP who had uh, called out Trudeau over the carbon tax, came out and called for a leadership review 
which he then walked back, I'm sure, after some calls from PMO. Do you think that Justin Trudeau was effective in, in trying to present this united front? Uh, no. Uh, he's got the, the same problem that, that we saw from the summer when members of parliament came back and the Liberal caucus was very leery because of these terrible, terrible polls and an economy that is not doing very well and a housing crisis. And that still is the problem. And he tried in his uh, speech to caucus to rally the troops against Pierre Polyev, making him out to be, you know, this magna Republican guy. We have to go after him and he's dangerous to society. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, if you watch the vibes in that room, uh, yeah, they clapped him, but it wasn't enthusiastic. They weren't, you know, they weren't really uh, enthusiastic about him. You could see the sense of, can this guy pull it off? I'm not so sure. That's the feeling I got from, the, uh, from watching the Liberal MPs. And there is a lot of discussion. We all know it. Uh, when they go to bars and they go to restaurants about whether this guy has what it takes to uh, win the next election campaign. And most of them are not really sure that that's possible. And they're waiting to see if he's actually going to step down and how long that will take for a leadership review to, to come, take place. I mean, look at David Lametti, who said, oh, of course, you know, he just has the right to... Um, to be the, the liberal leader and run again and if he wants to, but then he says, but you know, those polls, they're really bad. Steph, it seemed like he was trying some new things in this speech as well, both calling out individual conservatives, including people who might run, and supporting individual backbenchers in his party, names of which most of our viewers have never heard. Do you think he's trying to change gears or are they, are they taking a new approach? There's two different things happening, potentially. One is understanding that brand Trudeau is the brand that's the problem. The question of whether Canadians are done as a whole with the liberal worldview, that they're done with the idea of a liberal government, or are they done with Justin Trudeau? The poll suggests he's never been more unpopular. And one way to sort of distract from yourself, right, is to say, well, hey, it's not just about me. Look at these wonderful people I have. And I think... That messaging, when you're dealing with, you know, Lametti, I guess at that moment when he gave that speech, we didn't know Lametti had quit yet, but you have Lametti, you have Ken McDonald, um, to point to and highlight the work of caucus. Because the thing that will toss a leader out faster than anything else is bad caucus management. If MPs feel like they're not being listened to, if they feel they're being dismissed, if they feel their concerns aren't being taken seriously, the converse of that is to highlight the work that they're doing. That makes people feel good, gives them a clip they can show to their constituents, and it helps sort of reinforce some kind of allegiance to the boss. When it comes to Mr. Polyev, one of the, you know, the high-level lines from the Liberal government is, we don't know what a Polyev government would look like. And one of the things that they're trying to show to Canadians or try to suggest to Canadians is if you'd like to know how Mr. Polyev might govern, have a look at the folks that are running with him. And, you know, the Liberals are picking apart some of those people's records, trying to attack them, trying to paint them in a certain corner. Um, so to say that this is the conservative party, it's not just don't just think about Mr. Polyev, think about who he's got around him and what that might mean for the Canada of the future. Bob, uh, the conservatives having their caucus meeting today dealing with a situation where Tucker Carlson was in Alberta, appeared with uh, conservative premier Daniel Smith. Of course, the liberals will tie that immediately to the federal conservatives as they've been doing. What are the challenges for Mr. Polyev coming into this city? Well, first of all, he's he's got to continue to keep the momentum. He's got to, the, as long as the economy is not in good shape, uh, it's better for him. So uh, a lot of this other stuff is noise. I mean, the Liberals are going to practice wedge politics. They're very good at that. They're going to try to scare Canadians. But the real issue for 
most Canadians is the economy and they like the message that he's saying, uh, even though he has not provided many solutions, as you know. But uh, the, the, the danger he has is uh, he's trying to appeal to people who are, uh, who are also supporting the People's Party. Uh, because that makes a that can make a difference in in a number of writings. So that Tucker Carlson type person and and the liberals are right to go after him on that. And that's the one area where I think he's very vulnerable because he tends to lean in that direction anyway. Sometimes he skirts very very close to the edge, and uh, that is the issue. That if 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 that can catch on with people, if people start saying, "Wait a minute, this guy wants to be prime minister," and he kind of favors people like Tucker Carlson, that is going to be an issue that's going to frighten people off. So the Liberals are wise to go after him and use that as a wedge issue, but I don't know how effective it is going to be as long as uh, Justin Trudeau is the leader trying to present that message because people are really turned off by him. The polls show that. Well, one of the big decisions that was a court decision last week, but it has political implications, was the federal court ruling that the government was not justified in using the Emergencies Act to clear out the convoy, something which Mr. Trudeau is clearly against uh, the convoy. Obviously, he invoked the Emergencies Act, and, and Mr. Polyev supported the convoy. How does that play out politically for both parties, Steph? Well, one, I mean, it gives uh, the folks like Mr. Polyev and, and many, many, many of his supporters sort of the paper, the paper to say, hey, we were right. This was a violation of our rights. Look, the court said so. And it moves it beyond the realm of, oh, you guys are all just a bunch of anti-vaccine mandate conspiracy theorists into legalities and questions of constitutionality and the charter. And these are meaningful, you know, big things. But it, it also brings the issue back. And the question is, does anybody want to be talking about this anymore? To some degree, Mr. Polyev does. We're not done with it either. Justice Rouleau, who headed that public order commission, um, he has, you know, he had set a deadline. He wanted the government to respond to them in a year and let them know what's going. So the issue itself isn't gone. So for the liberals to have themselves politically reminded of a time um, when the country was very divided, very angry, very scared, and to have people remember that, hey, that was the guy in charge then. And look, now a judge is saying he didn't do it right. That's too bad, you know, for the Liberal government as they seek, I think as many Canadians actually seek, to come out of the pandemic, to sort of look forward and not back. And, and they've made the decision to appeal that. Of course, it could go all the way to the Supreme Court, so we might not get a final, final decision until after the next election. But one of the things that we are going to see a decision on is, uh, the, well, decision, the outcome of, is the foreign interference inquiry, which is starting next week, Bob. Um, the Liberals really had to be pushed to do this. And there's some questions about whether we're going to get information and accountability out of it. What are the politics of this inquiry? Well, you know, the outcome of this uh, inquiry, one would hope, is that we're going to, we should be able, we should be trying to find out whether or not the Liberal government were, there were warnings from CSIS about Chinese interference that would have benefited Liberals at the expense of Conservatives. We know those warnings went up the food chain to deputy minister's level. Did it go to the prime minister himself and the cabinet ministers? And if so, did they turn a blind eye or did they say basically the deputy ministers realized, you know, they don't want to know this, so I'm not going to tell them. That is the, the big issue here. But this inquiry also is in danger of faltering right from the get-go because uh, the Conservative Party is very upset the fact that they have not been granted party sta status, unlike the government, the government uh, and uh, two other, uh, three other po politicians, Michael Chan of Deputy Mayor, 
of uh, Markham and the former uh, Ontario cabinet minister and Han Dong, the Liberal MP and now independent MP, have been granted status and they haven't been. And that is an issue that they are, they are very upset about that. They say it doesn't look like it's fair. And diaspora groups, human rights groups who have fought and warned the country about Chinese interference in election campaigns and transnational repression in their communities are threatening to boycott because they are so concerned about these two, three uh, gentlemen, particularly the two general, Mr. Tong, Mr. Han Dong and, and Mr. Chan, having the ability to be able to cross-examine them and to see confidential uh, submissions that they may uh, present, which they're worried about is that, you know, if they get to see this sort of stuff, it could may have repercussions on them and their families. So. This is a real issue for the uh, the commissioner to try to grapple with because if you start off an inquiry and it's undermined already by the main opposition party and the Chinese Canadian and Uyghur Canadians and all these groups that have warned about China, where does this leave this commission? Hobbled. And, and, and if the public doesn't believe in the outcome, especially if they come out and say, hey, there's nothing to worry about here, like David Johnson, um, David Johnson's report, then I think the, uh, the commission could be in serious trouble even before it gets going. Thank you both for joining us with your insight. We'll see you soon. Now for one last thing. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is looking to a tried-and-true strategy for his government, trying to insulate Canada from a possible Donald Trump re-election. At his cabinet retreat, Trudeau announced the Team Canada approach is back to ensure rosy relations with the U.S. Mr. Trump uh, represents a certain amount of, uh, of unpredictability, uh, but uh, we uh, will make sure we're pulling together. In a campaign-style speech to his caucus, Trudeau attempted to link Trump with his political rival, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev, warning Trump's mega-style politics could spread in Canada. Pierre Polyev is focused on bringing his party further to the right. But the threat of Trump returning to the White House might be just the contrast Justin Trudeau is hoping for to help his political fortunes. That's our show for today. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block. <laughs>